the editor-in-chief of the Cornell Review, a correspondent for Campus Reform, a young scholar at Cornell University. He hosted a talk show that broadcast to 20 million people. He's a best-selling author, and he's just getting started. The one, the only, Joe Silverstein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Joe Silverstein Podcast. And today, I have the great honor of having on my friend, Michael Vasquez. He's running for the Broome County Legislator. Uh, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well in the quarantine. I'm doing well uh, with the podcast, and I'm glad to be here. So before we get into your current election and your current campaign uh, to become elected to the Broome County Legislative Branch, let's talk a little bit about a shared experience that we have at Binghamton University's Art Laffer event and the prior events that led to that that were just insane and how it really ties into what we're seeing today now on a nationwide scale and how this sort of campus radicalism has uh, bled over into the mainstream culture in America. So can you talk a little bit about, and I'm sure I'll get into my experiences as well with it, but from your end as someone who's outside of the university, what your perspective was on that, on seeing what happened to the Binghamton Republicans, on seeing what happened to um, the Art Laffer event, how it got shut down by the mob and how that ties into what's been happening on a national on a national scale okay uh, i love it you start with the big tough questions i love it <laughs> uh well joe in just to give people a, a refresher on this uh, back in actually in september this all started actually from september a young woman lacey kestiger first got in touch with me on my podcast i had a podcast at the time still do called the uh, No Sound Bites Allowed. And I w- became aware that she's a conservative. She came to me because she was being attacked. She was being verbally assaulted and cyberbullying at Binghamton University. Well, we talked a bit, had a great show, and I encouraged her, like I encourage you and everyone else who's conservative or Republican or even libertarian, come out, speak. It's your right, it's your voice. You, you should be heard. And so then um, she decided to get involved politically. She joined up with the Binghamton University uh, Republican Club and also with Turning Point USA, got very involved. And between the two of those organizations, they were out and they were uh, tabling, as I understand, which means they were trying to recruit more members, let people know that they exist. And they had an upcoming event with Dr. Art Laffer, a world-renowned economist, phenomenal, uh, has the Laffer Curve. I think most people have heard of it before. Uh, and they were trying to promote that event. They were then encountered, and this is in late, uh, that was November, um, when they got encountered by a mob of 200 students who happened to be with the college progressives, as I understand, the Binghamton University progressives, And they were mobbed, so much so that police had to be called in to help escort them out for fear of their own safety. Binghamton University decided to punish them and basically closed down the College Republicans and denied Turning Point USA the opportunity to go out and have their voice and to be a club on the campus. But the Art Laffer event went forward anyway. And that's when the parents of, or the parent organization, of the Binghamton University progressives 
which would be Black Lives Matter and Progressive Leaders of Tomorrow, an organization that was known for just recently in Columbus Day, 2019, um, shutting down the entire parade for a time because they, because of terroristic uh, attitudes and techniques, uh, intimidating children and trying to take over the event. Well, they did the same thing with Dr. Art Laffer and shut down that event, which is insane. Within five minutes, they were guaranteed prior to the event, the opportunity to be able to go out there and they would have all the time that they wanted to ask any question or make any statement they wanted after Dr. Laffer had made his opening speech and they opened it to questions. They were given an entire room, a lecture room, also to simultaneously hold a protest in that room while Dr. Laffer started his speaking. So the university bent over backwards to give the progressives everything they wanted and the progressives wanted more. So they staged a takeover, shut the event down, had the room, this, everyone had to be uh, sent off. And then they followed that up with minor rioting on the Binghamton University campus. The Vestal Police Department was actually called in to help out and then some member of Binghamton University stopped them, even though there was near riots on Binghamton University that day. And then they filed, then plot filed that up with uh, a similar action at the Broome County Legislature. It's insane that we're watching and uh, seeing a university, a place of higher learning, allow students to be shut down, to not be able to share their voice because it's unpopular with the administration of the university, apparently. It's totally mob rule at Binghamton University. And I was there at both of those events. And, and before I even get into it, again, it's just such a microcosm, what happened there on that day of what's now happening seven, eight months later throughout the country of really this, this campus culture has bled into mainstream America and people aren't allowed to express their opinions anymore without fear of getting harassed or beaten or worse. And we've seen videos of it and it's just terrible. But that being said though, I was there I wasn't a part of the organization during the tabling event. It wasn't until after that that I joined the club as a result of what had happened uh, to support. And because like you said, in times like this, it's important to be more vocal about your opinions and be more vocal about your conservative or even centrist ideas that are being shut down in these uh, Marxist campuses, quite frankly. Now, for just for context for the listeners, Binghamton has a horrible track record on freedom of speech and on these subjects. Binghamton is really just, the administration is, is a disaster. They put out a tweet, the Binghamton University Twitter account, saying happy 4th of July. They subsequently deleted the tweet because of criticism from left-wing quote-unquote activists. So it's certainly something that is problematic. Now, that being said, that day, I wasn't even a part of the college Republicans. I was on the phone with one of my friends, who my friend Seth, he has his own show, uh, who happens to be conservative like me. And we were talking about politics and I was walking out of the library because this, this tabling event happened right outside the library. And I saw the big Trump cardboard cut out and I said, oh, this isn't going to last too long. And I said to my friend Seth, I said, Seth, you know, there's going to be problems with this. People are going to come. I had, I had plans to return to the library. I had to go back to my apartment to get something quickly uh, to bring back to the library with me. So I said, all right, Seth, by the time I get back, this is going to be total chaos. So what happens? I get back there's police cars everywhere. And prior to this 
the college Republicans were doing nothing to antagonize anyone. I went over there briefly just to say hello and to say, you know, I appreciate what you guys are all doing and, and speaking out and being vocal on campus. Um, I get back 25 minutes later and there's chaos. There's hundreds of people screaming. There's some of the, the worst provocateurs and worst antagonists that you've seen, I'm sure, on the viral YouTube videos of the ones that are really being violent and really screaming up in Lacey's face and other people's faces. And it was just total chaos. The police had to come. The next day, and after that, the university blamed the college Republicans. They had put out in a statement, it was clearly the intent of the university Republicans to provoke and to spark up a disturbance. So they blamed the college Republicans. Really, there should have been a lawsuit filed. And if I had anything to do with funding the actual event, there would have been some serious lawsuits filed. Now, that being said, a few days later was the Art Laffer event. Now, at this point, I had joined over that three-day period, the college Republicans. I had become more involved with them as a result of this. And that's one of the things, too. For some people, it has the unintended consequence. The consequence of this activism is to shut down speech, but we have to do the opposite and raise speech up. And that being said, uh, you know, a great group of people, the college Republicans at Binghamton, I knew them briefly, and I still keep in touch with them, but I was a member briefly. After that, I transferred schools. And... Um, you know, but three days later was the Art Laffer event. And prior to the event, we had a private lunch with Dr. Laffer and he was very intelligent and very knowledgeable. And it was really a conversation that I found beneficial. And I found to have learned a, a great deal about the American presidency, a great deal about economics and the political economy. And it was really something that was beneficial and would have been beneficial for the whole university to have heard what he had to say in the public uh, speaking engagement that we had booked him for. And like you said, within three minutes, people were screaming with the microphones surrounding the police that were trying to make an arrest. We had to be rushed out of that event by police. Uh, you know, it was, it's, just, it's just total chaos. And it's something that all Americans should be disappointed in. I mean, someone told me recently, they said, oh, well, you're very brave to be an outspoken, outspoken conservative on campus. And I said, I'm not brave. The people who fought and died for the right for me to say these things are brave. But the fact that something as simple as expressing your political opinions is considered brave in this country really shows you what a bad place we're in. Now, fast forwarding six, seven months later, you're running for the Broome County Legislature. What experiences have you had now? And are these groups uh, attacking you in any way, whether it be PLOT, the progressive leaders of tomorrow, whether it be the local Black Lives Matter chapter up at Binghamton, or whether it be the BU progressives? What, have, what has been your experience during this campaign season? Okay, so a couple things in there. For sure. There's a lot to unpack in there, so I wanna, I wanna capture a couple things. Uh, one, I did, by the way, get to speak with Dr. Laffer. And I did, I think I spent an hour and a half with him talking about what he was going to talk about at the speech. Um, and I think a lot of people would have been very surprised because the way it was portrayed by a lot of the progressives, and I want people to understand, there's a big difference between a Democrat and progressives. The progressives are plot leaders, you know, Antifa, uh, BLM. They have a very different outlook than what we're talking about with Democrats. But people would have been very surprised. He was going to give an economic speech. And if you've ever heard an economic speech, boring. Unless you love economics. It's, it's really dry information. Lots of data. It's just, it's hard to follow if you're not into economics. But it was incredibly insightful to listen to a Nobel laureate, someone who's uh, received a congressional medal, uh, not congressional, presidential medal, of freedom 
to be able to speak with him and have his thoughts. So it, it did happen. Um, and I thought that was very important. But when I'm looking at all of this, you know, uh, I've been involved in political commentary for over 12 years now. And actually, uh, we're just short of 15 years. And in all that time, I've seen a, a steady movement, not just left-leaning, but socialist-leaning. And that's dangerous because that's shutting down people's voices. That's stopping people from being able to speak. How many people I have talked to, and I know young and of all ages, that are saying, hey, I'm afraid to be able to say, I have an idea. They don't even have to be conservatives or Republicans. We're talking about libertarians. We're talking about kids who consider themselves to be moderate Democrats. And they are afraid to be able to say, hey, I have this viewpoint that someone says, I want to be pro-life. You can't be pro-life and be Democrat because the progressives will attack you on that. This is insane. And you can't even be, uh, you can't even lack knowledge. Recently, there was a, a, an issue with the Endicott mayor where, uh, excuse me, the deputy mayor, uh, who is a Democrat, and through her own ignorance and lack of knowledge of the internet, she happened to like a meme that someone had sent to her, and now she's considered a racist, and they're trying to, the Democrats, the progressives, are trying to get her kicked out of office. Now, all of that put together, that terrifies me, and that made me say, you know, it's one thing to do political commentary. I've spoken with pretty much every elected official in eight counties plus Congress on both parties for the last decade and things have not improved. And I've asked them questions and I've been on top of them about bills, some of them that I support, some of them that I don't, whether it's from a Democrat or not. Um, and we're not seeing things improve. And that told me, you know what, time to get out there, have to get out there, have to make a difference. And just like I tell others, you have to have your voice heard. And because I'm out there, and I'm saying things as a black Republican, God forbid there's a black conservative Republican that exists. God forbid that black uh, conservative Republican decides to run for an election. The, the left doesn't know what to do with that because I refute everything they exist for. Oh, you can't do this without government help. Hello, I, I run a podcast, uh, um, a show, that I've been doing for a decade, and I don't get any federal funding for that. I'm not dependent on the far left for giving me the money or the ideas or the guests. I do this myself. I lose money on it every year, but I've been doing it. I'm running for an elected office without their help because I don't agree with their ideas. That is anathema. Um, they don't listen to their messages. Uh, President Obama said, you don't build that. You listen to all of the, the message from uh, BLM, their recent set of demands have said, which came out in June, uh, right after the George Floyd, after all the riots and looting that we've seen. And they've came out with four different, four different days, four sets of demands that you have to give to black people, that you have to take away from others because they want equity. And equity means that if you have it, I must have it too. So if you have a car, I have to have a car. That's equitable. If you have a house, I have to have a house. If you have money, I have to have money. If you have a pair of jeans, I have to have a pair of jeans. Now, the important thing about that, which sounds great, 
except the way that we get it to parity, we get this e equity, is we're taking away from you and your work and your effort to give to someone else who didn't put in work or effort just to give it to them. This is a socialist idea. And I've lived in Russia. I've seen that socialist idea. And at the end of the day, it doesn't bring people up. You keep taking away from people to bring them all down. So everyone gets the bare necessities. No one achieves. And it's absolutely miserable. And I've seen that real world live there a year and a half, unlike these progressives who are saying, oh, well, don't worry. We have a new idea. I've seen the idea. I've lived the idea. It sucks. Yeah, for that sure. kind of answers that a little bit. Uh, but I left that one thing in there. And because I'm doing this, uh, so far, I've already been attacked by a mem members of Black Lives Matters who are telling people that they're t literally, this is funny, they have literally said, I am not black enough to be voted for because they base it on skin. That has nothing to do with the, my character, my capability, my knowledge. That's not important. The race is a Democrat versus a Republican. And since I'm a Republican, I'm not black enough for them. So they want their voters, to their progressive voters, to go out and vote for the white guy who's an older white male in government for long term. And they're saying vote for him instead of the black guy because the black guy isn't is black enough. I guess somehow the Democrat is now black by default. It's insane. Does that make any sense? For sure. Well, there's a lot of things to unpack there. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, first of all, obviously. One of the things I think that's totally absurd, the Museum of, I think, African American History, it's called, released a poster saying that these are signs of whiteness. And no, the no. poster would be, you can't distinguish it from the material of that organization versus the material of a white supremacist, because essentially they're saying the same things, saying that... Uh, individualism and all these traits that have been the basis of Western society, they're uh, aligning that with whiteness, with being Caucasian, which I think is something that is the textbook definition uh, of racism. To say that these things are only available to one ethnic group is ridiculous. And it go, it's contrary to anything that Martin Luther King stood for that we should stand for as Americans. And with regard to them saying you're not black enough, I mean, that in itself is just an absurd statement. And it's not a surprise to me, though, because Iona Presley, I believe she is, the congresswoman she's part of the mm -hmm. aoc plus three of the squad she had said that we don't need uh black faces that aren't black voices and that's a ridiculous proposition to say that because of one's skin color or one's ethnicity or even religion that they have to back a specific set of ideals is the most racist statement possible. Uh, and, and there's certainly hypo hypocrisy to it as well. In terms of the economic issue, I think part of what we're seeing is in addition to renewed calls and a renewed popularity with socialism and a new hatred towards capitalism, we're also seeing a neo-Marxism, which is basically something that happened, sort of rose up in the, in the late 20th century as a result of Marxism failing from an economic perspective. So they decided in the academia and the universities, they would try to spread it culturally and, and do it that way. And what you're seeing now as a result is oppression of freedom of speech and things that are really disturbing and contrary to what it means to be an American. Well, absolutely. I mean, let's think about this for a second because Presley, Omar, AOC, they've all come out with some insane statements. And just like what we see here, I mean, the uh, one of the leaders of plot, a gentleman 
by allegedly by the name of Miss, oh, excuse me, it's Messiah Andrews allegedly under the name of Roderick Douglas on Facebook. I'm calling him out specifically because his idea was he's going to silence me because he called me a racial slur that I cannot mention here. I cannot, not only because of modesty, but also because it would be removed from Facebook, YouTube, it would be removed from every medium out there because it's a racial slur. He's using racist statements and a racial slur used by classically by white supremacists, KKK, against me because he's black, I'm black, and he, I don't know, somehow that makes it possible. Let's think about what they're really doing here. What they are saying is your gender and your identity are more important than your ideas and your capabilities. That is inherently, I'm not even sure which ism or ist that they want to use. It's racist, it's sexist, it's uh, ageist, it's, it's a bunch of things. I mean, I'll give you an idea. I do not agree with the idea of defunding the police. It's a pretty straightforward thing. The overwhelming majority of America agrees with me. And everywhere that we have seen any shape or form of defunding the police, it means the same thing, disbanding at least some amount of police. We are seeing police disbanded. New York City had 600 officers that were disbanded. We saw uh, they were trying to get 50% in Minnesota. We've seen it happen in Seattle. Every single place that I'm mentioning here, Atlanta, uh, Asheville, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., that they have suggested it, that they've been trying to push this forward, any decrease or reduction in the police has wound up resulting in increases in shootings astronomically. We're talking about, in some places, two, 300% increases in shootings. Even in Chicago, where there's always shootings, black-on-black uh, -black shootings at that, that plot and the progressives never want to talk about. But we've seen an increase there of, uh, I believe it was 150% to an all-time high. And it gets even worse than that. Because not only are we seeing that, we are also seeing in Seattle at the Chaz, or you want to call it the CHOP, uh, looking at Atlanta, uh, looking at what just happened in Indianapolis. We're watching members and supporters of Black Lives Matters and Plot and Antifa kill children and kill mothers. There is a 16-year-old, a 19-year-old and a 60-year-old at the Seattle Chaz that were killed because of BLM. We saw that BLM supporters, two of them in Atlanta, killed an eight-year-old child. We saw that in Indianapolis, supporters of BLM allegedly killed a 24-year-old mother because she said, all lives matter, not black lives matters. Is That's not just, we've gone from the point of suppressing our thoughts to literally using the, the, the threat of death, and in some cases, death, to advance a political agenda. And I have to tell you, when I'm saying to my constituents, I believe we can always improve the police, but we shouldn't defund and disband the police. They say, yes, that's okay, but I can't say that publicly because BLM and PLOT are going to turn around protest them, they're going to threaten them and intimidate them. And I am aware of cases uh, where they have been intimidating businesses 
just because someone didn't say fall in line and submit to their will. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, and also you're someone who understands history and I'm, I'm someone who understands history. Anyone who knows anything about the 20th century knows that this is horrifying that this is happening in this country. And there's a lot of similarities between this and between Stalinism, Maoism, because ultimately this is what this is. This is a far left. It's separate from the liberals. And in fact, I had thousands of people come on my Facebook page and harass me and send me death threats and post horrific graphics of a cartoon of a child suffocating a baby uh, because one of my conservative posts got shared in these left-wing activist group chats and the goal of these group chats or the Facebook groups, I should say, it's usually 10 to 15,000 activists it consists of. And the goal of the groups is to go harass the conservatives into silence, into making their accounts private, all things that I never did and never would do. Uh, but I will say, I'm even in touch with, I had to contact the local FBI because I received multiple death threats across state lines. And this is someone who uh, has a moderate level of attention, who has a, a, a great following, but a relatively small following relative to other figures. But the fact is, if it's happening to me, it's happening to a lot of other people. And a lot of people are gonna stay silent and are gonna be uh, scared into silence as a result of it. And that's not good. Uh, another thing I wanna point out, you said that historically, anytime defunding the police has been tried, it's been a failure and it has been, it's been a, a massive failure, but that's why they're so, they put such emphasis on silencing opposing views because their views are bad, they're radical, they're terrible, they haven't worked. A Wall Street Journal, a great report done by the Wall Street Journal, I'll send you the link later and we'll post it perhaps in the description. It says that Marxism has killed 100 million people in the 20th century. Yeah. Now, to, to put that into perspective, the Holocaust, which was horrible, which was atrocious in every level, killed 6 million. Marxism is an ideology that has killed far more people than even the Holocaust. And that's what we risk losing this country to. And if America falls to Marxists, and, and it's not a hypothetical anymore, the institutions, many of them, the colleges for sure have fallen to Marxists. It's very troubling. But the reason I brought up what happened to me on Facebook is because in a lot of the comments, but one specifically, exactly what we're saying here was articulated by the activists on the radical left. And that is, he said, I'm glad you recognize we're communists and not liberals, because the liberals get so much credit for what we do, but we're not a part of the liberals. And what you're starting to see now is people who are liberal, for example, I'm sure you're aware of Dave Rubin and mm -hmm. people of that nature, who believe in some liberal ideas, have now aligned themselves with the conservatives and with the, even the centrists have aligned themselves with the conservatives as a result of the conservatives being the one protecting what's typically thought of and traditionally thought of as liberal values, right? Freedom of speech being among them. So that, that's okay. just- Sorry, the Zoom froze for a second there. So let me follow up with what I think I understand. One, I wanna make a correction. Uh, in according to the Soviet Union, when I lived there, 80 million people died because of the socialist purge. Uh, in China, there is estimates of 120 million people in that nation that were killed as part of the socialist surge. So depending on who's counting, somewhere around, some people say it's 100, it could be as much as 200 million people in just those two nations alone have died because of it. Now, something a lot of people haven't paid attention to. Two and a half years ago in the New York Times, they released an article talking about Venezuela which had become a socialist state where they took the guns away from the public 
and they said that the police would protect the people. And two years ago, we have found that 5,000, it was 5,600 Venezuelans were killed by the government because they were unable to defend themselves. This is the ultimate path that always happens when we see a socialist nation take over. Now, it starts with little things. And that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why I'm running is to defend not just what I believe. That's not important. To defend what America is. Whoops. Did I lose you there? Okay. I'm still with you with the audio, but we had a, a technical difficulty with the video. But I'm going to try to get it fixed on this end. If, if you want to continue, it'll be fixed momentarily. Okay. Um, so they went and so we've seen what's important is that America, its constitution, everything with the constitution is absolutely imperative because our nation is a great nation. And our freedoms, like the freedom of speech, the freedom to fail, the freedom to uh, uh, defend ourselves from the government, these are all critical components. They're absolutely necessary. And we need to protect that. And that starts at the local level, not the national. A lot of people think, oh, well, it's coming from the president down. Guess what? President Trump, I've had to tell this to a few people of, of all parties, I, President Trump isn't running for the Broome County legislators race. I am. And yeah, I'm a Republican. I'm not Donald Trump. I think people can tell I don't have the same look. <laughs> you know, we're not the same guy. Now, what's very important about this is we need to be able to speak. We need to say, hey, I want to improve the police but I don't want to defund them. I want to, I understand COVID has crushed our economy. Um, we're looking at New York State Association of Counties has predicted that somewhere between, that Broome County alone is going to have somewhere between a nine to 22% loss in revenue. You know what that means? It means we're going to have services that are going to be cut. It means that we're going to have higher taxes for the next two years. And what else does that mean? Well, you know, the state aid is roughly $31 million that's going to be down. We're losing state aid because the state doesn't have the money. This is a massive impact. And if we're not thinking about that and if we're not talking about that and being honest, rather than saying, oh, well, let's just defund the police, that's not going to make up the difference. Saying something like, well, we'll just make it equitable. We will just take away from the rich people and give it to the poor people. Well, guess what? Everyone's poor. We're looking at, my estimate is, somewhere around 18% of the small businesses by the time we're done. And I'm counting from the day we started uh, to get out of phase one until three months later. So we're talking until the end of August. What we're looking at is 18% of the small businesses will fail. We know that according to the um, U.S. Chamber of Commerce in April, they said that 29% of all of their members had enough money in April to be able to survive two months. Guess what? We passed that by. We're currently, now when we opened up, some businesses got to start right away, not all of them, and they started at many businesses under 50% of the revenues that they were making before. 
even today, now at phase four, with almost all businesses open, because they're not, and even as we're putting even greater restrictions on them, like Cuomo did yesterday on bars and restaurants that serve alcohol, making it harder for them to be able to uh, have clients and keep their doors open, then what we're seeing is still businesses haven't reached 100% in revenue. Many of them haven't reached 60% in revenue. You keep adding that up month after month with two months where they lost everything. They paid out their bills, but they got no revenue in. You're looking at at least 18% of the small businesses will close. These are people who will never go back to work because there is no work. That's revenue that will never come back to New York State because it doesn't exist anymore. Add that to the fact that we have thousands of people who are now selling their homes to get out of this state, either because of fear of COVID or because their business closed or because uh, whether they're the business owner or the employee, or they're just trying to get to somewhere where they can live on the money that they have. None of this is good. And people are saying, well, no, you just don't, don't understand. This is for your best. This is for your good. You just have to comply. Don't speak up and just deal with it. And you're rich, so you have to just give up yours. And it's equity because racism. That's not an answer. That's not a solution. Saying, well, it's just racism isn't going to suddenly make black people get own more businesses or have greater wealth or invest in the stock market and make their investments better. That's stupid. Let's get rid of that. Let's throw that out the window and let's actually deal with something like, how about we educate our public better? We give them more opportunities. Let's reduce some of these taxes and regulations that are not helping people. And again, I, I refer to one of the things that just happened. Governor Cuomo, the bars just reopened. People are coming out. They have been locked up, frustrated, losing their minds for months in solitary confinement in their homes. Even Jason, uh, County Executive Jason Garnar went so far as to tell people that they could only come out of their homes every other day. That's the county government of New York saying you can't get out of your home um, uh, until every other day. This is solitary confinement. People finally get out of that. They go out. They're, some, many of them are concerned about COVID. They go forward. They say, okay, I'm going to take the risk. I want to go out. I want to be social. And now we're getting the governor saying, hey, don't worry about that. You know what? You can't. You can't just go out and be social. You have to buy food. You have to, you have to comply to what I want today out of the blue because he said so. That's not helping anyone. These are the things I'm against because it doesn't make sense. Not because I don't want to save lives, but we need some consistency. We need something that will allow businesses to be able to make sense of what they're trying to do. For sure. Absolutely, 100%. We are having a bit of a technical difficulty on my end, so that's why the video cut out again. But while we're getting it fixed, what are some of your plans on in terms of if you are elected to the Broome County Legislature? Uh, what sort of things do you want to accomplish? What sort of bills do you want to advocate for? No problem. Um, well, there's a bunch of things that I want to work on. One of the things I was thinking about is let's 
this is a great idea. I've been talking to many businesses trying to figure this out. One of the things I want to do is let's renegotiate the things that we can renegotiate. I'll give you a great example. Uh, businesses have printers, they have computers, they have uh, you know computer screens. They need tech, IT support for all of these things. They buy the package so that when something goes wrong, you call up that IT guy and say, hey, fix this. Everyone does that. Now, most businesses don't need that as much as they, as the package is there for. You're not going to call every day, or you really shouldn't. If you got a decent printer, the printer's not breaking every day. Uh, if you have a computer, it's not breaking down every day. So what I would say is, as a county, one of the things we can cut money on is, let's go back to those packages, because they're extras. We don't need to have them, but we do have them because they are helpful. But let's renegotiate that term. Instead of paying, we've been down for a couple of months. We're going to be down possibly again in the fall. And I expect we will be. Let's renegotiate that contract. Let's lower that amount. Maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 50%. I don't know what the number is going to be, but let's lower that because if we do lower that amount, that's savings that's coming back to us. If we can pick up 5%, 10% right there, that's a huge amount of money coming back into the coffers of the state that lets us not raise taxes as high as we have to, and that helps. Another thing that I wanna work on, one of the other things I wanna do, is I want, to, uh, I want a tax holiday, essentially. We know our small businesses are in trouble, they are desperate, they are struggling. So let's do something that makes sense. We've already lost um, at this point somewhere between nine and, uh, well, definitely over 30% of the normal revenues we would have, whether it's somewhere between nine to 28, uh, $28 uh, million. So let's do this. With the city, with the county cutting back, we know that they have to. Let's cut some of the waste that we have, and there is a lot of it. But in addition to that, let's give, let's zero out the county taxes, bring it down to zero, and then phase it back in over a six month period of time. Now, eight, nine percent is not going to save every business, may not even save any businesses, but it might. It may give them an, that extra week, that extra month that extra couple of employees to be able to continue to work to get them over until the next normalcy comes out and then they're able to do better. What I'm looking to do is to give them the opportunity to succeed because as a Republican, I believe in very much the old parable. I don't want to feed you a fish. I want to teach you how to fish and that makes all the difference. That's why America is great. And that's the approach I believe taking on in county legislature or any elected office is I want you to succeed. I want to give you the ability to succeed, not rely on the government to determine if you're successful or not. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, I do want to say it's been great having you on the show. Uh, I wish I could campaign for you, but unfortunately we're not allowed to do a lot of in-person campaigning given the COVID crisis. Yeah. Before you go, one last question. What is the current makeup of the Broome County legislative branch? Is it 
I'm, I assume it is primarily Democratic. Uh, are there any elected socialists who are registered with the Socialist Party of America? Are there any Republicans? And if so, is it a decent amount that you think you could form a coalition with? Well, actually, uh, the good news for the county has been that the legislature is held by Republicans, actually. Uh, it's a majority. And we have 12 out of 15 seats. But this year is going to be a difficult year for everybody because you can't go out and talk to people and you have to rely a lot more on social media, which both Democrats and Republicans, most of them are not familiar with doing. I'm a little bit ahead of the curve on that. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen. Everyone's in turmoil right now, all parties. No one's sure how to move forward to reach out to people. I think this is one of the best ways. Uh, there are no known socialists that I know of. Um, no one has publicly said so. I do know in the city of Binghamton, we have two members who are uh, either in plot and or supporting plot. They've changed their position on that a couple of times. So we do know that that more socialist ideology is coming into our community. But what we need to do is elect people who will be able to think through and think forward and say, how do I, how can I best represent the public and not this ideology? Because when you represent an ideology, you always fail. If you represent the people, you always succeed because people make the nation. People are the ones who create the businesses, go to the work, pay the taxes. They're the people that we have to take care of. If we're doing that, then we're going to succeed. If we start paying attention to this ideology or another, well, it's, I'll give you a great example. Going back to the plot, the leader of plot, Messiah Andrews, uh, allegedly, who, who uh, said he's using racial slurs against me. Well, those racial slurs were used against black people throughout the 50s and 60s as they wanted to get uh, the civil rights movement done. Now he's using it against me because he doesn't like that I'm exercising the very same civil rights that people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, in certain ways, Gandhi, the very rights that people had lived and died for. And my brother Marines fought for and died for around the world. This right is being shut down. And what happens when he's no longer on the right side of the ideas? What happens when his own party says, well, that's great, that's wonderful, but you're not good enough. You're not the one we agree with anymore. See, eventually, when you're taking on and you're backing ideologies and not people, when you're trying to promote an ideology and not promote people and their freedom, then eventually that same mentality is going to be used against you. The person you're calling a, a homophobe, a, a sexist, a racist, tomorrow you're going to be called that because someone else is just not going to like what you have to say. And that doesn't help. Yeah, it's very true the points you raise. And certainly as well with regard to your comments on ideology, I think it's important for people to notice. And right now it's happening a lot more on the left than it is on the right. But really ideology isn't always a positive thing. And if you're too subscribed to a particular ideology and if you follow it as though it's a religion instead of a political way of thought, that leads to disasters. And we've seen that throughout history. 
So that's something that's important to note. And unfortunately, it's trending in this intersectionalist sort of uh, ultra, they say progressive, I would say regressive uh, direction. But with people like you standing up and fighting for your community and for, in a certain way, the country, and with people like me doing what I'm doing and, and, and Lacey and other people from Binghamton and beyond and from Cornell who are fighting the good fight, we have to preserve the American values. We have to stand strong against this assault on the country's history and way of life and prosperity. And we also have to recognize on a national level that Joe Biden would be controlled by these radicals, would be controlled by these people. And the economic policies he would set in place as evidenced by the unity plan uh, that AOC contributed to and Bernie Sanders contributed to and others, the economic policies would be nothing short of a disaster that would drag this country into a great depression. Uh, that Joe, being before you, before you go, mm -hmm. one, if people want to know more about my campaign, they can go to Vasquez for Broom, V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z, uh, for Broom, B-R-O-O-M-E, uh, dot com, or you can just put that in for uh, Facebook and you'll be able to see me. And I'm very approachable. I'd be happy to speak with anyone about any of their ideas, whether you're from the left or the right, I don't care. You're part of my community. I want to hear what you think. Uh, but I also want to say I commend and thank you, Joe. You and all of the young people, whether they agree or disagree with anything that's been said today, especially if they've made it this far into the program, thank you. Thank you very much for being here because you make the difference. You are the future. Being able to have your voices heard, just even listening to other ideas, that is vital. That's why we had advances in science, in technology, in philosophy. We succeed because young people like yourself are out there asking questions, asking for answers, and actually hearing the answers they're getting back. I'm not saying people have to agree. I'm saying hear the answers that are being given to you and then make the best choice for yourself. And I, I commend you for being able to do this. I think it's important, and I support that a thousand percent. I, I really, really do, and I always have. I always will. For sure. Well, I want to say thank you for your service. Thank you for what you're doing and running for the Broome County Legislature. Uh, I'm sure you'll be very successful in this pursuit. And also thank you for staying with us through some of the technical difficulties we had. It's not typical that we do, but we did have some for this episode. And I look forward to inviting you back again in the near future to discuss developments with what you're doing in Broome County and beyond. So thank you very much. Thank you to everyone for listening. God bless you and God bless America. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Joe Silverstein Podcast. Visit www.joesilverstein.com and follow Joe on Twitter at SilversteinUSA. Visit www.thecornellreview.org to keep up with breaking news, our latest articles, and more. Like the Cornell Review on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. God bless America.